Several years ago, our family was able to visit and uh, go to the, the Grand Canyon on family vacation. None of us in the family had ever been there. This is the first time that we'd ever been there. We'd read about it. We'd seen pictures of it. We'd watched things on TV about it. But we'd never actually been there. And I'll never forget coming up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and seeing it live and in person for the very first time. It was simply amazing. It was astounding. I was, I was sitting there and felt like my breath had been taken away. It was overwhelmingly beautiful. It's incredible. Our first day at the Grand Canyon, we were fortunate to arrange a guide to take us on a hike into the Grand Canyon. And we were really excited about this, to have somebody take us and show us around because we didn't know, really know the first thing about the Grand Canyon. We didn't know where to go, where the trailheads were, what we needed on a hiking experience. Um, and we felt like we'd be in good hands if we hired a guide to take us on our first major experience into the Grand Canyon. Now imagine with me what it would be like if the morning we showed up to meet the guide, that crisp, cool air, the sun coming up, the anticipation, the excitement with our family building. We could not wait to hike down into the canyon and fully experience it. Imagine if we showed up in the parking lot, not knowing where to go or what to do except to meet the guide in the parking lot. If upon meeting our guide, we discovered that this happened to be his very first time into the canyon too. Can you imagine if I would have said, hey, we are wondering about how long this hike is going to take today. And he says, I don't know. I'm interested in finding out. This is my first time into the canyon. Well, do you know how much water we should take? I'm taking whatever I think I might need. We'll figure it out, though. I mean, if, if that happened, that'd be a little unsettling. We'd be a little bit concerned with going with an inept guide who had never even been there. Now, now consider the shoe on the other foot. Let's just say that we showed up and we actually showed up and met a guide who was the senior guide of all the guides in the Grand Canyon. He had been there his whole life. He had traveled every trail. He knew the Grand Canyon like the back of his hand. Let's just say that we showed up and he began to tell us things about what it would be like. He began to tell us, you know, this morning as we start off, it's a, it's a crisp 40 degrees. But as we move through the day, by the time we get to the bottom of the canyon, it's probably going to register somewhere around 120 degrees. If, if you didn't know what you were facing, you didn't take adequate water, you wouldn't even really feel like you needed a drink until it was probably too late and you were dehydrated to the point where you might become delusional, get lost, and die. It's happened to more experienced hikers than you can imagine. It's a good thing you're with me. Now, what if that guide made it very clear that he's the best and we have the best opportunity for the greatest experience being with him? What if he said that and I said to him as I looked to my wife and my three young kids and said to them, hey, um, just one second. I looked back at the guy and I said, you know what, actually, after hearing all that, I think we're going to be just fine by ourselves. We got a bottle of water for the five of us. We're going to have a great time. Thanks for your help. And we just took off. I mean, that would be disaster, right? There are two things that can ruin your experience at the Grand Canyon. 
One, having a guide that knows nothing. Or two, having the greatest guide ever and not listening to him at all. I tell you that story because we all want to know where we're going and we all want to know how we're going to get there. And to some degree or another, every one of us has showed up here in this place today saying, I'd like to take a hike into the Grand Canyon of life. And I just want to be reminded that we're going to be okay. That somebody knows where we're going. Somebody knows how we're going to get there. And we actually have a guide we can depend on. We showed up here to be reminded of who our guide is. Because all week long, every one of us are going to be given opportunities to start off in a hike in this life. And I'm so grateful that we have the best guide Jesus Christ is the perfect guide because he created each one of us. Having created each one of us, he knows exactly where we were created to go. And he knows exactly who we are created to be. So the issue for us is not whether or not we have a great guide. The issue for us is what kind of hikers are we going to be? So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to listen a little bit to our guide. And I'd like to do that by opening Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. If you look at verse 15, I'll be reading today from the New American Standard. Matthew chapter 22 verse 15 kind of kicks us off in this unfolding story. And if you look at verse 15... It says, And the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap Jesus in what he said. So there's our setup for what we're going to see unfold before us in Matthew 22. The Pharisees, one of the religious groups of the day, decided that they wanted to trap Jesus by asking him a question that would get him in trouble, that would discredit him, would show that he's not worth paying attention to. So the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus a question about the poll tax. And Jesus gives them an unbelievable answer that leaves them speechless. They don't know what to say. They thought they were going to ask him a really hard question. And he had an answer that demonstrated he knew far more than they did. The Sadducees, another religious group, kind of a counterpart to the Pharisees, Well, they come to Jesus and they try to do the same thing. They try to construct a question that they could present to Jesus that would cause Jesus to look like he's not fit to follow, to discredit him. Their question was in relation to the improbability of the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They thought it was improbable. It didn't make sense. They had reasons why they didn't believe it. So they came to ask Jesus about the resurrection. Jesus gave them an answer. And he was, he was absolutely brilliant in the way he answered. He gave them an answer that convinced them of the reality of the resurrection based on what they affirmed they believed. He used their own beliefs to demonstrate that the resurrection is real. It was absolutely amazing. And once again, the Sadducees We're left without a word. Jesus obviously knows what he's talking about. 
Well, the Pharisees, they hear about the Sadducees failing to discredit Jesus, and they huddle up to talk about what they're going to do. And unfortunately, they did not talk about the one thing they should have talked about. What they should have talked about in that moment is Jesus just affirmed what we believe. You see, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They should have said, Jesus just affirmed what we believe. We could not stump him the first time. Maybe we should change our approach and instead of opposing him, actually pay attention to what he has to say. But that's not what they did. They got together and they discussed, how can we trip him up? How can we get him in a place where we discredit him? And they came up with a way to approach Jesus that they believed would absolutely discredit him. They got a so-called expert in the law to present a question to Jesus that Jesus would certainly not be able to answer. That's where we pick up the story in verse 34. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him teacher which is the great commandment in the law and he said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and foremost commandment the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus answered. And once again, the religious leaders had no reply. Jesus was masterful in his answer. You see, when this expert in the law came to Jesus, the expert in the law was asking Jesus a question, not because he sincerely wanted to know an answer. They weren't concerned with an answer. What they were concerned about is asking a question that would discredit Jesus. So obviously there's some background here that we're not really given insight into. The background would be this was a question that they had been arguing about among the religious leaders such that there was no right answer and it would have just created an uproar and disagreement and likely would have discredited Jesus. So they bring a question not because they care about the answer but because they care about discrediting Jesus. And the expert in the law has brought the expert question certain that he will trip Jesus up only to discover who the real expert is. Jesus answers the question very simply and clearly. He says, here's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And here's the second. It's just like the greatest you hear what Jesus is doing? Here's the greatest, but here's the greatest. This is not what they expected. He says, here's the greatest, love God, and here's another greatest. Just like the first one, this is the greatest in the sense that this is what God wants you to do if you love Him. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
He said, on these two commandments, these greatest commandments, rest the whole law and the prophets. These two commandments are so great and they're so intertwined that everything else that's required of you by God can only be done through these two commandments. You get these two wrong, you can't do any of the other ones. You get the other ones right, but you miss this. It doesn't matter what you did with the other ones because everything's got to be done through these two. Everything in the law and the prophets, everything that God requires depends upon these two commandments. Love God, love people. All through the New Testament, we see that the New Testament writers build off of this reality. You can look in Romans and Galatians, James. You can see specifically in those books that loving God is the fulfillment of all the commands. You can see how the scriptures intertwine these ideas of loving God and loving people. We saw it again and again as, our, as we studied 1 John. <clears throat> how many times did we hear in 1 John, if you love God, but you don't love people, you don't love God. Now, all the prophets, all the law, all of what God expects depends on these two things. And if you don't do one without the other, you've not done one. And if you've not done one of these two, you are guilty of breaking all the commands. What does Jesus mean when he says you need to love God and love people? We say that almost every single Sunday here. That we're a church that's trying to love God and love people. That's who we are. What does Jesus mean when he says love God, love people? He says love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Everything you are. Everything you can leverage with all of who you are and everything you have to love God. To demonstrate for God a love that says everything I am and everything I have is going to be leveraged to show you honor and deference, respect, obedience, loyalty. You are the one who has my life. I love you with everything I am. When he says love people, what does he mean? He he means more than just love your neighbor that you like living by. He, He says several times earlier in the book of Matthew, if you just love the person that loves you, what difference between you In the person who is terribly evil, the worst of people can love the people that love them. What I mean, what Jesus means when he says love your neighbor is he means love even your enemy. Jesus actually says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I say to you, love your enemy. Jesus makes it very clear when he says love people, he means you are to love the people who you would ordinarily find reason, justifiable reason not to love. Love people. 
You're to love God with everything you are. You are to love people in your life, every single person in your life. Those two things are so intertwined that you literally cannot do one without the other. You cannot love God if you do not love people. And you cannot love people if you do not love God. Everything depends on these two commands. So, how are you doing on those two commands? How's it going? Two greatest commands matter more than anything else. All the law and the prophets depend on us obeying these two commands. These two commands are everything. This is it. This is where it all rests. This is the most important thing we can ever do. How are we doing on these? Anybody here love God with all you are, all you have, perfectly, in every way, since the day you heard you were supposed to do that? Anybody? We're not doing so good on the first one. Do we even need to go to the second one? (laughs) I mean... God should be easy to love compared to people, right? But we don't love God with everything we are, everything we have, the way he wants us to. And we certainly don't love people. I've thought this week to myself, how do we hear the phrases as a church family, love God, love people? Well, if we pay attention to what Jesus is demonstrating here in Matthew chapter 22, I hope from now on when we hear the words, love God, love people. We are a church who loves God and loves people. What we'll hear when we hear that is we're a church who are a bunch of command breakers. I mean, that's what we're saying. When people come in here and we say, we want you to know who we are. We're a church that loves God and loves people. What we really mean when we say that is we're a church full of command breakers. Because nobody in here can keep the commands. And everyone here has violated the greatest commands of all. We have not loved God like he's called us to. And we have not loved people like he has commanded us to. We are command breakers breakers now the reason I want us to hear love God love people in that way is because that's exactly how God intends for us to hear those commands he doesn't intend us to hear those commands and think hey I can do that that sounds a lot better than keeping 600 and other commands I'd like to just focus on those two and I'll do my best to try to do better at loving God and loving people. That's not how God wants us to hear the two greatest commands. He wants us to hear the two greatest commands and to recognize in light of those commands just how much we need Him. We're a church that loves God and loves people. Oh, oh, how I see my need for God. Because I am a command breaker. 
Now what I don't want to happen is for you to hear the words love God, love people, and feel the condemnation of your command breaking. I want to hear you to hear your need for a command keeper, not your condemnation of being a command breaker. We are all command breakers, and we got more than enough condemnation to go around. What we need to understand is the reason Jesus Christ has pointed out these greatest commands is so that we might see our need for a command keeper and recognize that he is the greatest guide of all into the keeping of the commands. He is the command keeper. When you hear we are a church that loves God and loves people, if it does not heighten your awareness of your need for Christ, it's like standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon, having no water, and traipsing off down in the middle of 120 degree weather and wondering how in the world you died. When God says the greatest commands are to love Him and to love people, it ought to raise in us such a need that we want to follow Jesus. We want Him as our command keeper. And we want to receive His love that He promised for the command breakers. See, Jesus Christ has demonstrated the love of God by laying His life down for us so that we might know as command breakers that God has made provision for our forgiveness So that if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, in other words, we trust Him as the guide of our life. When we give our lives to Him and say, I want to follow you, then what He does is He sends His Spirit to live in us so that we never have to experience a moment the rest of our lives outside the presence of our guide. And He gives us His Word. So that any time we want, we can sit down and open His Word and in His presence have experiences with our guide so that we might hear Him and listen to Him so that we might find Him right here and right now. And in finding Him, we might align our lives with who He is and what He says. He's invited us to trust Him as the command keeper. It's impossible to love God if you've not received His love. It's impossible to love people like God has commanded us to love people if we have not received God's love. And the only way to receive God's love is through trusting Jesus Christ, the perfect guide, who will take you where he wants you to go and will make you who he has created you to be. It requires trusting in Jesus Christ with your life. If you'll trust him, you'll find you can love him. If you trust him, you'll find that you can love people. But it won't be because you're now able to keep the commands. You're not going to be able to love God and love people when you trust Jesus Christ because all of a sudden you can now become a command 
keeper. If, if you think of loving God and loving people as you keeping the commands, then you've misunderstood that you are still a command breaker. There's not a time in our lives when we stop needing the command keeper. We don't trust him for salvation and receive forgiveness of our sins. If all of a sudden we don't need the command keeper anymore. Now we can just do a better job of keeping the commands that we were formerly breaking in a much worse way. We're not talking about modifying our behavior and doing better and trying harder because Jesus Christ loves us and has forgiven us. No, we cannot think about love God, love people as command keeping. We need to think about trusting fully in the command keeper whose obedience to every command has been given to us as a gift. So Jesus Christ obeyed every command. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He fulfilled every single command from the least to the greatest. He fulfilled them all. And in fulfilling them all, he then went to the cross to die for us a righteous sacrifice so that we might exchange our command breaking for his command keeping. And so what we receive from him is his obedience credited to our account. That means that my command keeping has been perfectly accomplished by Jesus Christ, the only command keeper. So I'm not trying to love God as if to show God I'm doing better at keeping the commands because I know that unless I'm a command keeper, I'm not going to heaven. No, I am obeying God in loving Him because Christ has given me the gift of His righteousness and now by way of His Spirit and His words, His righteousness is working itself out in me so that now the obedience that I see in my life of loving God is actually just the obedience of Christ working itself out in me. So that if I spend all my life striving to love God with everything I am and everything I have through my faith in Jesus Christ, I get to the end of my life and you say to me, great job loving God, I would say to you, yes, but it was not me, it was Christ in me. All I have the capacity to do is break commands. But the command keeper has given me the gift of his obedience so that out of my relationship with him, I get to experience the fruit of his righteousness. I don't get to experience any merit from my own obedience. My own obedience before God is like filthy rags. But Christ's obedience through me is experiencing the fruit of Christ's righteousness. You following me? So when I say we're a church that loves God and loves people, I'm saying we are a church full of command breakers who have responded to the invitation created by the need of our command breaking to trust completely in the command keeper and enjoy the fruit of his obedience as we simply get to know our guide. That's it. So the patterns 
in our lives that give us the greatest opportunity to listen to and get to know our guide, our patterns around God's word. He's in his spirit so that we're never away from his presence. He's given us his word so that we can be with him and see him and listen to him and respond to him. And so I want to regularly be in the word of God, reading his word. Talking to him about who he is. Praying. And responding to who he is and what he says with surrender. Regularly. That's worship. Worship is about laying your life down on an altar and saying, I want to realign my life with you because you're the perfect guide and you know exactly where I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to go, and exactly who I'm supposed to be. And I want to, in light of who you are, align my life with you again. So, so out of those patterns of being in the Word of God and talking to the Lord about who He is and worshiping Him and laying my life down before Him because of what He's shown me about Himself, those moments of finding Him, I have to decide what kind of hiker I want to be. I've heard my guide. What am I going to do? Out of those patterns of hearing Jesus and experiencing Him, I've got to decide what I'm going to do if I'm going to follow Him. And, that, and that's where you make decisions of faith. Like you find Him in your right here, right now moment. You decide, am I going to believe who He says He is? Am I going to follow Him or am I going to take this fork in the road because I don't care what He has to say? Am I going to realign my life with Him? Am I going to believe in Him? And when I realize that I've departed a little bit or drifted a little bit and He says, this is who I am, am I going to tell Him, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm a command breaker. You're still the command keeper and I want to align my life with your keeping so that I experience the fruit of your obedience. I want to confess my sin. Are you going to turn away from that sin and leave a little bit of that sin behind more and more for the rest of your life? Are you going to, are you going to see these experiences of faith and confession and repentance come out of finding Him? Will you find Him and follow Him? That's what it means to love God. To find Jesus because he is not far from you. And to follow him because he's the command keeper you cannot live without. This last week I was spending some time with the Lord and his word trying to do exactly what I'm explaining to you. And I was in a right here, right now moment. And I found him. I've been thinking about somebody in my life that years and years ago had said some things and done some things to me that were very hurtful. Anybody else had a similar experience with somebody in your life? And I found myself thinking about that individual in this way. I started thinking, I wish that that individual would have treated me this way instead of that way. Life would sure be better today for all of us if this person had treated me this way instead of that way. In my reading that day, I was in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And I got to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And Jesus' words struck my heart. And the way you want somebody to treat you, you should treat them. I found him. It was like he just said to my heart, all these years you've been really concerned about how they should have treated you. And you found a lot more reason to be concerned about that instead of how you should treat them like you want them to treat you. Lord, I'm wrong. I just confess to you that I've been so concerned about what was done to me that I failed to recognize what I could do for them. And I want to do a different way. I want to go a different way. I want you to take me where I want to be and where I've been heading is not where I want to end up. And I want you to take me where you want me to go and I want you to make me who you want me to be. And I came out of that time, the next day I told Lindley, I said, Lindley, I gotta tell you what the Lord has done. I had a right here, right now moment. I found him and this is what he said to me. He said, I'm wrong about something in my life I hadn't even been thinking about and I got to confess that to the Lord. And I don't know what repentance is gonna look like yet, but I know this, I'm headed where I'm supposed to be going and I'm becoming who I'm supposed to be and my guide is taking me there and I'm so very grateful. I felt free. Not because I kept the command, but because I, f- I found the command keeper and he set me on a path of knowing him, finding him, and following him. Do you see how marvelous that is? He wants our lives to be seasoned with regular experiences of finding him through his word and adjusting our lives to follow him. It's an invitation because we need it. On that day when we were hiking in the Grand Canyon, as we went down into the canyon with our guide, he told us all these wonderful stories about the Grand Canyon. Historical stories, modern stories, clients that he took out. He had a story around every bend on the trail. It was so much fun to hear him talk about that place. We learned things we never would have learned had we not gone with him. It was an amazing experience. We got to the bottom of the canyon. He took us to this, this, this waterfall, this spring-fed waterfall coming out of this, basically this desert, rocky canyon area. And there's this little oasis. We went down there. We hung out for a while. We ate some food. We talked some more about the canyon and its history and its significant, the flora and the animals. And it was just an amazing experience. As we walked out of there, I was so grateful that we had a guide that knew where we were going and could shape our experience along the way. You know, God knows where we're going. He knows where you're going. He knows where we're supposed to go. 
before we launch out anywhere as a church family, the first thing is for each one of us to decide what kind of hiker we'll be. Jesus Christ is the perfect guide. And there is nothing like a life of going where he wants you to go and being who he wants you to be. But you got to decide. You got to decide if you're going to follow him. So find him and follow him. That's what it means to love God.